0: This morning about the ancient gospel is what I've decided to call my message. And it it's kind of I've I've worked it into an ending to the series that we've been on together, which has been a series called Engage. It's been a series about Living out the call that God has put in our lives to, to be evangelistic in the way in which we live, to be others orientated, to be seeking to bring the gospel with us wherever we go and to be finding spaces where God wants to use us and to share the gospel into the lives of others. In small bits, in whole, in moments, wherever God is wanting to use us, this has been the call that we've been looking at in the series to really honor God and to, and to bring the kingdom with us as we go. And so this morning I'm gonna talk a little bit about the ancient gospel and I'm gonna pick up a story from Acts chapter eight and Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And and then we're also going to we're we're gonna pick up the scripture that the eunuch is reading. And we're gonna start there and then we're gonna we're gonna work backwards. Right, So I know that's going to be a little interesting, but uh, that's how we're going to go. I'm going to set the scene for us just so we know where we are in Acts chapter 8, and, uh, and then we're going to jump into the scripture after reading Acts 8 that the eunuch was reading, look at that for a while, and, uh, and then go back to Acts chapter 8. So if you don't know who Philip is in the New Testament, Philip is a guy, he's elected as a deacon in the church in Acts chapter 6. He's a man that's described as someone who is full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, Those are his two descriptors. If I was going to be described by any two things, I would be very glad to be described by those two things. Uh, That's who Philip is, a man full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, and he operates as a deacon in the church, overseeing the distribution of food to some of the widows in the church for a period of time. And and then in about Acts chapter 7, there's a guy called Stephen who gets arrested. And when Stephen is arrested, he gives a, a long kind of monologue, a long speech about the God of Israel and how that God is actually Jesus who the Jews crucified. And they were all very happily listening to his monologue until he told them that the Messiah was Jesus that they had crucified. At which point the speech went very badly for him. They pulled him off the stage, told him to stop speaking and went to stone him. So it didn't go so well for for Stephen, but what happened is at that moment, persecution then began to break out against this new movement in the Jewish religion of Christianity. Up until that point, it had just been this kind of weird side thing that had been happening with this guy called Jesus, and all of a sudden, it's now the church, and the church begins to be persecuted. And so everyone who is not one of the 12 apostles and is a Christian flees from Jerusalem where this thing has been birthed, right? And so then we move into Acts chapter 8. And what happens in Acts chapter eight is um, Philip is one of the guys who leaves Jerusalem and he goes to a city called Samaria, and so he begins there because he's now encountered the risen Jesus. He's encountered this person. He's he's heard a message, but he's also felt the Spirit of God at work in his life, and he's recognized that there is something real, there is something true that's been happening that he hasn't recognized before. And so he goes into Samaria and he begins to share with the Samarian people who this God is and what He has done and as he preaches, he also demonstrates the kingdom of God. And so he sees people that are um, demonized. They have, their evil spirits are attached to him. And so he prays for them and they're delivered. He releases them from demonic spirits. He prays for people to be healed and they are healed. And so God begins to support his ministry in the way in which he um, shows it to people. And so he preaches and demonstrates the kingdom of God, and it creates a huge movement in the city of Samaria as people are choosing now to to believe in and to follow this guy called Jesus that Philip is talking about. And it it gets so big at one point that the apostles who are back in Jerusalem now begin to hear about this thing that's happening in Samaria. It wasn't trending on Instagram because that didn't exist. Right? So somehow word of mouth traveled back through various guys who were traveling by donkey and pony and taking a long walk and selling various goods, that something is going on in Samaria and the message about Jesus is being spread and God is doing some stuff. And so the apostles decide, well, they better just check it out, make sure it's legit. So off they send of the apostles, they go down to Samaria and, uh, and they see that God is really at work. And so they begin to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that hadn't yet happened. And the Holy Spirit begins to fall on people. And the things that Philip was doing begin to be replicated in the lives of the people who are being filled by the Spirit. And then there's this incident with a guy called Simon who's a sorcerer in the town and used to operate in power. And he begins to see the power that the Holy Spirit brings. Then he wants to buy some. And then the apostles rebuke him. They have a little moment. Right? And after they've dealt with that and released the Spirit in the city, they head off back to Jerusalem. That's that's kind of where we're going to pick up the story. There's a little bit more, but we're going to leave it there. That's where we pick up the story. The apostles have just headed back to Jerusalem. Philip is now in Samaria, and it says this. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandek. In other words, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of her treasury. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading from Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come and to sit with him. Now this is the passage of Scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep. To the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, Please tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And so he gave orders to stop the chariots and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. It's a great story. It's a lot that we could say about it. I'm going to try and curtail myself. Right? We're not going to talk about how the Lord teleported Philip. <laughs> it's a whole other story for another time. Okay, but we're going to explore the story, as I said, in a slightly different way, and we're going to start by picking up the question that the eunuch asked Philip, right? The eunuch says in verse 34, he says to Philip, please tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? That's quite an important question. He's reading a passage of Scripture that was written 700 years before. For us, it's now 2,700 years old. Right? It's a prophetic passage written in a prophetic book written to God's people to give them hope in a Messiah that is coming. So let's, let's read that passage together and see if we can answer the eunuch's question. Right? So it's, this passage starts... Uh, in Isaiah 52, the eunuch is only reading two verses from the section that, of the passage, but it starts in Isaiah 52 from verse 13 and goes through Isaiah 53 verse 12. So we're going to read that together this morning. It says this Isaiah 52 verse 13. It will be on the screen. I'll give you a moment if you want to turn there. If you've gone to Jeremiah, you've gone too far. Right. Isaiah 52, verse 13. It says, "'See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured that he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one could scarcely know that he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they had not been told.'" And they will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed His arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about His appearance, nothing to attract us to Him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. And we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were were from God, were a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us. Like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet He never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before its shearers, He did not open His mouth. Unjustly condemned, He was led away. No one cared that He died without descendants, that His life was cut short midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. I will give him the honors of the victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels." That's the passage in Isaiah, speaks about the servants of God. And it's a, it's a very real question. Who is the prophet speaking about? I was reading an article on a, on a website called Jews for Jesus. And, uh, and the author of the article said he had gone into Jerusalem and conducted a survey of over 100 Jews who were walking on the street. He said less, less than 10% could tell him that they had any understanding of what Isaiah 53 is all about. you know this passage is, there's a, there's a list of readings that is done in the Jewish synagogue every year so that they work their way through the Old Testament Scriptures. This passage is left out, which is kind of strange because it's a part of the Scriptures. And he's, his theory is that it's left out because it, it points rather awkwardly towards Jesus and there are very few other ways to deal with it. Now I'm not a Jewish person, but uh, we can engage with that. But let's have a let's have a little look at some of the things that are said in this passage,
1: right?
0: verse 52 and 14. Isaiah predicted that his servant would be disfigured by suffering. Right? It said, as many his appearance was so marred beyond all human semblance. He didn't even look like a man anymore. His form beyond that of a children of man. If you know the story of Jesus, Jesus was flogged, beaten, spat on, mocked, thorns were driven into his head. If you've seen the passion of the Christ, you might have a small idea of what someone looks like after they've undergone that. He goes on, he says he would come from very humble beginnings. If you go to 53, verse 2, he grew up like a root out of dry ground. It wasn't a root in a lush garden. He begins his life in a very humble way. Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth. This is a town said to have a very low reputation. If you read in the book of Luke, they will tell you that the Pharisees will say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? It's such a crusty little town. That's where Jesus grew up. Isaiah says his servant would be despised and rejected by many. Right? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief He was despised and rejected by men. Jesus is on trial before Pilate. And Pilate says, guys, I I can't see anything wrong with this man. I want to release him. I want him to be set free. I'll just flog him and then give him back to you. And the crowd turn away and they say, no, he must be crucified. The crowd that followed him all through his ministry, that couldn't wait to receive another miracle from him, Suddenly they're standing before Pilate and they all turn their back on him. They say, we'd actually rather have Barabbas. We'd rather have that, that uh, traitor, murderer. We'd rather re- you release him to us than Jesus. Jesus needs to be crucified. Isaiah says that his servant would bear the sins of others and suffer in their place. That's a very unique qualification. No one else really does this. In fact, in the Old Testament, what they would do is on the Day of Atonement, they would get a lamb, a sheep, and the the priest would speak over the lamb all of the sins of the people of Israel. If I remember correctly, there were two, and one would be offered as a sacrifice on the altar, and the other would have the, the sins of the people spoken over, and they would sprinkle the blood of the one onto the other so that the sins of the people of Israel would be on the sheep, and they would send it out into the wilderness. It's where we get our idea of a scapegoat from, where the goat would carry the sins of the people out into the wilderness. That was done on an animal. It never happened to a human. And yet here we have the prophecy of the servant who would come, who would carry the sins of others. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.24 that Jesus bore our sins in his body when he died on the cross. Isaiah said his servant would heal many people. If you've read anything of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, you will know that a lot of what Jesus did was heal people. In fact, the particular passage I've cited for you there, Matthew 8, 16-17, is a passage where, Jesus, where Matthew writes and says, And Jesus healed many people. This is to fulfill what was spoken about by the prophet Isaiah quoting this passage. Jesus healed many people. Isaiah said his servant would remain silent during his sufferings. You remember that's what the eunuch was reading. And if you remember when Jesus came before Herod, Pilate, the Sanhedrin, Annas, Caiaphas, never once did he defend himself. And they would say, people, like you say that you are the son of God, and Jesus would just say, you have said it. Never once did he defend himself. He was silent before Pilate. And Pilate was like, just tell me what the truth is. What is truth? Just tell me. And Jesus remained silent. Isaiah 53 verse 8 said, His servant would die for the sins of others. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. That he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. 1 Peter three eighteen, For Christ also died for the sins of others once for all. Isaiah said he would have no descendants. This gets really interesting because you'll see later on, the servant has both no descendants and also has many descendants. So Isaiah says he was cut off from the land of the living, that, that he had no descendants that would follow on from him. And if you know the story of Jesus' life, you'll know that at no point did Jesus ever marry or have any earthly children. There's no record of that anywhere in the Scriptures or in any extra-biblical evidence. It says he would die the death of a criminal but be buried with the rich, which is very unusual. There wasn't, I don't know how much white-collar crime happens in uh, early Israel history. I mean, I, re- I genuinely don't know. But it's quite an unusual situation to be counted as a criminal and yet buried with the rich. Yet Jesus died a criminal's death on the cross but was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea who was a rich man in Israel. He came and pleaded before Pilate for Jesus to be buried in his tomb. Isaiah says that his servant would give his life as a sin offering for his people. Jesus as our high priest did this once for all time. You read in Hebrews, all over Hebrews really, but particularly states in Hebrews 7, 27, that Jesus gave his life for sins once for all. Then Isaiah says, actually his servant will also have many descendants. He shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. And Jesus who had no earthly offspring, and yet all of us are adopted into his family. And so we become his brothers and sisters. We become God's sons and daughters. That's what Ephesians tells us so beautifully. We're adopted into his family. And so he is able to have both no earthly descendants and yet many spiritual descendants. It's very difficult for anyone else to do that. That he would live again after dying. that's, That's, again, quite a unique qualification. Very few people are able to claim that they have done that. Yet as we know, Jesus rose again and was seen by many in 1 Corinthians 15, just as Eneke was quoting for us earlier. Finally, Isaiah says his servant would again be exalted, that God would grant to him honor and glory for what he has done. And as we know, the Father exalted Jesus to the highest place of honor. You want to read Philippians chapter 2. There's this beautiful early hymn that is recorded for us about how Jesus is lifted up. He is the name above every name and that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know that there can be anyone else who fulfills those requirements. No one else in all of history has been able to so completely fulfill that description that was made by Isaiah 2,700 years ago. And I don't think anyone else ever will because so many of those requirements are supernatural. Those things don't just happen anymore. And so as the eunuch is reading this passage, Philip is able to show him that it is Jesus who was the Messiah. That Jesus was able to fulfill all of these things that Isaiah had spoken about 700 years before. That it was Jesus who offered himself up to be a sin offering for the sins of the world to carry your sins and my sins in his body. We spoke about it on Friday, about how how what God has done in Christ was to take all of the sin of the world. Jesus carried all of it and paid the price for it so that we could be free from God because sin keeps us away from God and separates us from God. Jesus has taken that away. And the forgiveness that we need in order to come to God has been dealt with by Jesus In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that had to be offered on a continual basis. You had to take sin offerings to the temple to atone for the sin that you had committed. Jesus says, I have done that once for all time. So that the offering of my body and myself is enough so that you are able to come to God as clean and as pure. He died on our behalf and in our place. And where we should have died before God's righteous judgment, we don't because of what Jesus has done for us. The punishment that we are due for our sinfulness, sometimes this is hard for us to reconcile, but it's easy as we look at the sins that are heinous. And we say there must be some judgment in this world for people that do X, Y, or Z. And all of us have different levels of what that looks like depending on what's been done to us. But the punishment that is deserved for sin is meted out on Christ as he dies on the cross. We're able to receive that forgiveness instead. And most, perhaps most significantly, is that Jesus conquered death and rose again to new life. Philip explains this to Eunuch, and it remains true for us today. Jesus died as the payment for sin, but he rose again, declaring that there is now new life for those who are in him. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we are able to have eternal life. This world is not all there is, friends. This world is not all there is. It's just a minute little piece of the puzzle that we can see. There is an eternity that awaits. And we get to either experience that in heaven with Christ or in hell with Satan. There are only two options. Jesus rose again and destroyed the power of sin and death so that we might live with him eternally more. He has gone to prepare a place for us so that we can be with him. This is the gospel that Philip proclaimed to the eunuch as he read from Isaiah 53. And it's the same gospel that we're able to celebrate today. It's the same gospel that is true for us today. It's the same reason we are able to rejoice because Christ is risen and the power of death is defeated and sin is defeated and there is life in the name of Jesus. I want to show you something that you may not have noticed in the story with this Ethiopian. I want you to just notice something that's happening in the background. Remember right in the beginning where we're reading about Philip, and he goes down to the southern road, and there's this, little, there's this little phrase that's in bold on the screen now. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. let just, just think about this guy for a moment. He's the treasurer of the Ethiopian Queen's empire. He's like the minister of finance for Ethiopia. Right? If he was South Africa's minister of finance, he would be traveling in a sweet black limo in a motorcade of about 10 different cars with blue flashy lights and causing all kinds of problems on the M3. Uh, he's just traveled all the way to Jerusalem to worship and honor God. I want you to just let that sink in for a moment. Do you, do you have any idea of how serious a journey that is? And now, just when I show you the map in a moment, you should know that ancient Ethiopia is modern day Sudan. So we're going to go from Sudan to, to Jerusalem. Uh, this man was undergoing a combined journey of 6,000 kilometers, by chariots, in order to worship a God that wasn't His. That is a one-way travel time. I did some maths, worked this out, average speed of chariots and horses, and one and a half to two months. One and a half to two months. Google says we could travel that distance by car in 62 hours. Anyone ever driven 62 hours to get to church? This guy took three to four months out of his life to go to worship a God that wasn't his. To go to a temple where he could only get into the outer court because he was a Gentile. And in the outer court, you might remember, that's the place where the charlatans and the moneylenders set up camp and Jesus went to clear them out because they were ruining the court of the Gentiles so that foreigners could come and worship. He did all of this. Just so that he could do his best to worship Yahweh. this is a man he was genuinely looking to meet with God. I don't know if I've ever met a man like that. I don't know. Maybe some of you here are feeling a little bit like that. When I was a bit younger, we did a thing called uh, spiritual treasure hunting. Have any of you ever heard of this sounds a little bit weird. sounds like it comes out of Bethel or something. right, basically what we would do is we'd get together as a bunch of young adults and uh, we would take some time to pray and we say, God, we want you to tell us three things. We want to ask you where we need to go, who we need to meet, and what they look like. We would ask God three questions, we would pray, and in faith we would try and hear from the Lord what He would say. So we would do that and um, we were praying. We felt we needed to go to Cavendish Square, right? It's always my favorite place to share the gospel, right, where I'm going to bump into all the people that I know. Off we go to Cavendish Square, and uh, the picture I got was of a Muslim man wearing one of the like Muslim hats. I don't know what they're called, fez. Thank you, Shirley. Right, he was wearing a fez, and it was. I was like, really, Lord? Really? Like, that's like pretty. I don't know if I'm equipped to convert a Muslim from Islam to Christianity. But anyway, off we go. We get to Cavendish Square, and we're riding the escalator towards McDonald's. And there ahead of me on the escalator, I see this Muslim-looking guy with his fez on, and I'm like, oh, man, because, you know, kind of part of you is hoping that you won't meet the guy, because then, you you know, at least you've been obedient, but, you know, it didn't work out, so there he is. So off I go. I have a conversation. So, hey, look, I know this is really weird. Um, I'm sorry to just, like, interrupt you in your day. Um, My name is Brad. I'm a Christian from a church down the road. Look, this might sound really strange, but we were just praying, and I I felt like God wanted me to come and to tell you about Jesus. I'm ready to get like serious bats. I mean, we tried this before. There was this old lady who literally tried to swing her handbag at me. (laughs) I don't think there was a brick in it, but it was pretty serious. This guy turns to me and says, you have no idea. For the last two days, I have been hiding out in the bathrooms here at Cavendish, waiting for someone to come in singing a Christian song so that I could ask them about Jesus like, God, you've got to be kidding. It was amazing. And I had the opportunity to share with him about Jesus, to walk a bit of a road with him. God was at work in the background of his life in a way that I had no idea. God was at work in the background of the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in a way that Philip had no idea. He had no idea what God was going to be doing. And this guy, he's undertaken a 3,000-kilometer journey in order to worship God. But I want you to notice, it's not at the temple that he meets God. He travels 3,000 k's to go and worship God, and that's not the place where he meets Him. Maybe some of you are here this morning, and like the eunuch, you've been going to church for a long time, but you've never really met Jesus. I don't know if that's true or not. But if you are genuinely looking to meet God, I believe God is at work in the background of your life. And and as we heard earlier, there is a call for you this morning not to miss what God is doing. Not to miss the beauty of the gospel, the fact that Jesus is here and He wants to meet with you. And so I want to suggest to you perhaps today might be the first time that instead of just going to church and doing churchy things that maybe today you can meet with Jesus. And those of you who are here regularly will know I don't normally do this in, a, in messages that I prepare, but I think God is doing something this morning. So I want to provide a moment for you to respond to the gospel if you would like to. All right. And so I'm going to ask us to close our eyes just because we don't want to make you the object of everyone's attention. And if you are here and you would like to respond to Jesus... You you are genuinely looking to meet with God, and you feel God just touching something inside your heart. Would you would you raise a hand? And we will we will pray for God to come and to meet with you. Is there anyone who would like to meet with the Lord this morning? Wonderful. Thank you, God. Father I thank you that you are a good and wonderful God that you are at work in the lives of your children you're in the work you're at work in the background of our lives that you are alive and real and you are so much more than just what a church service looks like And so, Lord, I want to pray this morning for your child. I want to pray that, Jesus, right now, you would reveal yourself to her as Lord and Savior. That you would speak life into your children, God. That, Holy Spirit, you would come and touch her. That you would pour out the forgiveness for sin. And you would lead them into a new life with you, God. Holy Spirit, come right now, we ask, and speak life into what might have been dead and what has felt lifeless. And Lord, we pray that this morning would be a new beginning, that there would be joy and hope and new life that would begin today. We ask this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love to encourage you, if you received that this morning, please come and just chat to myself or to Enika afterwards. We'd love to just chat with you and see what God is doing in your life and be able to journey with you. It's a really wonderful thing. And I don't want to leave the message And I know we're running out of time, but I want to do two more things this morning because there is there's something, there are two other things that we can see from the story. And If you've decided to follow Jesus this morning, or you normally follow Jesus, there are two other things that I want us to just see quickly in the story. I want you to notice firstly in the, the first section of the story. Chris, if you go to the next slide from Acts 8, 26 to 40. Do you notice twice in this short passage, there is direct revelation and guidance from God that Philip receives. Right? First of all, an angel says to him, go south. Second of all, the Spirit says to him, go to that chariot and stay near it. I think that is incredibly wonderful. It's really fantastic. God still speaks to us in that way. There are so many passages in the Scriptures. And even in the book of Acts, I've picked just four, just to remind you that this is a real thing. In Acts 13, the church is worshiping and fasting. And it says this, the Holy Spirit said, set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called him. The Holy Spirit spoke to him. Acts chapter 10, Peter, well, first Cornelius is praying and he's looking to find the Lord and he gets a vision. And in the vision, the Lord tells him, send some men, go to a town. It's called Joppa. Look for a guy called Peter. He's staying with a guy called Simon the Tanner. Go there and ask him to come to you. That's a very specific instruction. Peter is in Joppa. He's not going to go with some random people that come knocking on his door because we all know how we feel about random people that come knocking on our door. So the Lord gives him a vision. And says, hey, Pete, listen up. You need to understand something. And speaks to him in a language that he understands. We won't talk about it now because it will take a bit of a while to explain. But gives him a very specific vision. And then the people knock on his door and Peter suddenly realizes, that's why God gave me the vision. I need to go with these people because God is going to do something. Acts chapter 16, Paul wants to do some ministry. And it says that the spirit of Jesus prevented him from going into this place. Then he went to bed, he had a dream, and in his dream, there was a Macedonian man who was calling him and said, please come and help me. Paul wakes up and he says, I concluded that God was calling us to go to Macedonia. God still speaks directly to us. It's all through the scriptures, if you just care to look. Well, my favorite is David. David is constantly in this communication with God where he says, Lord, should I go up and take the battle to these guys? And the Lord says, Dave, Go. What about these guys? Lord, should I go up here? No, Dave, what you want to do here? Split your forces in half. Some of you go up the front. Others of you go around the back. Then at this time of day, I want you to start banging your shields and then everyone's going to leave. Okay, great. The Scriptures are full of specific instructions to God's children. We need to believe for that today as well. All right. Two thoughts just to ponder on that. I wonder, do you, how do you think Philip knew an angel had told him to go. I think it's an interesting thought because angels appear in different ways. When, uh, when the shepherds are in the field and Jesus is born, right, a heavenly choir appear in the sky and everyone's singing. And like, Unless you know a group of people that can levitate, that's a whole new level of choir. Right? You kind of know God is doing something special. This is a special communication. But Abraham the father of our faith, who receives the promise about Jesus. He meets with two angels, and after his meeting with them, he has no idea. They have a meal together, and at no point during that time does he realize these men are angels. It's only after they leave that he's like, oh, wait. I think we've just met with some guys from God. Hebrews The writer to the Hebrews says to us, "You need to be careful to show hospitality to everyone because when we do that, some of us have entertained angels without even knowing. Interesting thoughts. I wonder how Philip knew an angel had told him. I think something in his spirit must have recognized that this person is actually a messenger from God. Second question to leave you with, how do you think the Spirit told Philip? Right? All it says is the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stand near it. Do you think he heard an audible voice? I mean, that's happened before. Right? Paul heard an audible voice on the road to Damascus. Jesus heard an audible voice when the Spirit descended in the form of a dove. Daniel got some writing that appeared on a wall. At other times, Daniel just got a dream and he prayed and he said, Lord, he had a really difficult job. Tell the guy what the guy has dreamed and then tell him what it means. Does Anyone want that job? Doesn't sound like a lot of fun when your life's on the line. Uh, But God tells Daniel exactly what the guy dreamt and what it meant. We don't know how God told Philip, but he was able to discern and perceive the voice of the Lord. Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. My children will be able to hear my voice. That's part of our promise. Second thing and last thing I want us to notice as we come to a close, I want you to notice the obedience that Philip responded with. He responded in immediate obedience. And I find this remarkable because, because the task that the angel gave him wasn't easy. It wasn't simple, right? He gets told what to do, and the next verse says, and so he started out, off he went. Uh, and some of you may remember this map. I've shown you this map before. Right? But uh, Samaria is at the top there, at the top of the little curvy arrow uh, on the mountain range. Jerusalem is at the bottom of the arrow, and the road that goes to the desert is the one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Right? The angel tells Philip, Philip, I want you to go down to that road. That's about an 80K walk. I took a 21K run yesterday. My legs are shattered. I don't want to do any more walking or running right now. It's probably at least two to three days of walking for Philip. And yet off he goes because God has told him. I wonder how many of us would going on a two to three day journey because we believe God said it. Immediately. There's a guy called Stuart Lease. He's a pastor in the UK. I appreciate him. I've met him. He's a good guy. He says this, when God asks for obedience, we tend to want a confirmation, an explanation. If we get those two, then maybe we'll go and do it. What God desires of us is obedience that is instant, heartfelt. And then if we do that, maybe we'll get an explanation. I wonder how often we do that. Philip had learned to recognize that God was speaking to him. Notice, he never gets told why he has to go south. He just gets told, go south. And then two days later, he's waiting at the crossroads, and the Spirit says, go up to the chariot. And off he goes, and he goes up. Because obedience doesn't require explanation. If we're going to be obedient, we shouldn't expect an explanation. Can you imagine in the army... You've got a platoon of soldiers, they're hunkered down, there's enemy fire, things are going crazy. And the sergeant says, all right, guys, listen, on my signal, we're going to storm up over the top and we're going to assault a position 300 yards northeast of us at the moment. And Private Bob's like, yeah, but like, why? (laughs) That just seems like a pretty bad idea. Like, some of us might die. Like, yeah, Private Bob, it's not your job to ask why, it's your job to do. That's how obedience works. That's what obedience is. Imagine Philip had waited for a day just to test it, you know, just to make sure. Look, I'm not saying we should not test what we believe God has said, but there's, an, there's the immediacy of the response that allows God to do something. I'm going to share a story with you. Um, in fact, maybe I can ask Megan to come share it herself since she's here this morning. Is that okay, Meg? This is my friend Megan. We've been friends for a long time. She shared the story in our evening service a couple of weeks ago, and it's really helpful in just explaining the nature of obedience. Yeah. Short.
1: So I was working in Fishhook, took a lunch break, went and looked at the view on the beach and saw a very old gentleman walk past me and he looked kind of sad. He made a comment on the view and we got talking and I realized there was such hopelessness in him, lack of purpose, like just so hopeless. Um, And a few weeks later, the Lord said to me, "Um, go to a bookshop, uh, buy a Bible. And go to a coffee shop, and David will be there, and you can give it to him. (laughs) It wasn't a Bible. I bought a a, a scripture, like a faith book, instead. Went to the coffee shop. He was there. Um, And as a result of that book, and as as a result of connecting with um, King of Kings Baptist, he became a Christian. And he's now um, served the Lord for 10 years. Um, And it's just been amazing to see the hope that's been put back into his life as a result of meeting the Lord.
0: Thank you. Imagine Megan had thought, I don't really know if this is God speaking to me. It seems quite strange. I'm not going to go. What are the chances of hearing a particular coffee shop and going there and meeting a guy that you've met this one time on the beach and yet God was behind it and God was doing something? Final, final thing as we close. Philip, Philip obeyed God. And it led to some really significant fruits. Firstly, he went to Samaria because he, persecution had caused them to scatter. Jesus said, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in my name. So all Philip goes to Samaria and he begins to do what Jesus has told him. And the Gentiles, for the first time, come to know Jesus. This is the first time that non-Jewish people have been exposed to the gospel. Then a little bit later... The, The angel tells him to go down to the road, and he meets the Ethiopian. This is now an African guy who's traveling back to Africa, and he shares the gospel with him, and this guy comes to know Jesus. And now there is a Christian person in Ethiopia, and there is the opportunity for the good news to spread in a whole new demographic. Philip's obedience led to two new demographics of people receiving the gospel. Just imagine what God can do with us. So I'm going to bring our message to a close this morning. I hope you've enjoyed being with us this morning. We're going to start. We're going to just thank God for what he's done for us. And then we're going to ask him to use us for his kingdom and for his glory. Because that's why we're here. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to thank you that you are a good and wonderful God. Thank you, God, for the immensity of what you did for us so that we could be reconciled to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we are now able to live in relationship with you, that we are able to hear your voice, to know your leading and your direction in our lives, to be used by you for your kingdom and for your glory. Thank you, God. Help us, God. Help us to learn to hear your voice. Teach us, Lord. Cause us to to press in and to practice and to listen and to be actively attentive to hear the voice of our King so that we can be used by you, God, for your glory. We desire to be, just as you have spoken about us, light in a dark world. We We desire, God, to carry light into the darkness, to let your name and your renown be known through us We desire, God, to be used by you for your spirit to be at work in us and through us for your kingdom's sake and for your glory. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Come and move us, God. Come and give us opportunities for obedience, Lord. Please, Lord, speak to us and show us, God, where you want us to be involved, what you want us to be doing, who you want us to be speaking to. And we pray, would your kingdom come? and your will be done through the dedicated ministry of your children as you are at work by the Spirit. We ask this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.